0: The following is a presentation of the All Andy Alfred Network, powered by Anchor, and you are listening to this podcast on the plethora of platforms with the Anchor Network. Whether it be on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Stitcher, and Pocket Cast, however you are listening and wherever you're listening, thank you for tuning into the program at you can always follow the show. On Twitter, it is at all Andy Alford. It is at All Andy Alfred. Are you unburied yet, my friends? It is cold. A foot of snow has hit Northwest Ohio. We're dug out. We're ready to go for a jam-packed All-Star Weekend as the NHL descends on Vegas. We'll have the skills competition on Friday and the all-star game on Saturday. We'll take a look at what happened this past week for the Jackets. And we'll look back at the halfway mark for the Jackets. Oh, oh. While I get a big win in Indianapolis, now have SpongeBob night tonight at the Huntington Center. The stage is now set. Super Bowl in L.A., we're going to talk about it tonight, because it's Burrow versus Stafford. It's the Bengals and the Rams, but that all gets pushed aside for tonight and this morning as the 25th Olympiad winter edition has begun in Beijing. We'll talk about the Olympics and so much more. We got about a foot and a half of snow outside. It's cold, but the sun is out and melting everything. I'm going to melt your heart today because it's time for All Andy Alfred. Guess who's back? All Andy Alfred. And a shot at a goal. 24 runs in the span. We're really going shut out all the time. Dumbino, hip to a homeboy. Go, Jacks. way back. Put some extra relish on my hot dog. Bear down, Chicago Bears. Choo-choo, it's time for all Andy Alfred. And with that, I say, oh, I love you guys, and welcome into another edition of All Andy Alford right here on your exclusive home. For me, that is the Anchor Network, and you are listening to me today on the plethora of platforms with the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Bleaker, Stitcher, however you are listening, wherever, whenever, and however you're listening. From the bottom of my heart, thank you. Thank you for giving me your time, your effort, and the ability to listen to what's happening in the sporting world as well as what's happening in my everyday life. You can be a part of our show by following us on Twitter. It is at AllAndyAlfred, it is at allandyalford, as well as Facebook.com slash AllAndyAlfred. So welcome into this show on this, the fourth day of February 2022, and yes, my friends, it is the first day for me at the age of 32, as yesterday I celebrated my 32nd birthday shoveling out snow all evening and all day long. Yesterday, as we do these this show from Toledo, Ohio, is base camp, of course, and we were hit with snow 2022, as we got a foot and a half of about a foot and a half of snow outside right now outside of the headquarters so you might be hearing in the background some plowing and some uh, some snow snow blowers running so uh, we are doing the show from the from the studios here outside here not outside but uh, close by so uh, you might be hearing a ra- random rumbling but uh, I wanted to say to all my friends on Facebook as well as on uh, our show page I want to thank you for all the birthday wishes. And thank you for reaching out to me for my friends that were sending me text messages as well. Uh, it was a nice birthday yesterday. Uh, snowed in most of the day. Got a chance to just relax and, you know, spend some time with my parents. And, uh, yeah, that was pretty much it because of the snow. But, uh, yeah, it was a good birthday. We're having. We're going to have a few events going forward. Uh, my beautiful wife's birthday is on Sunday. We'll... That's more important to me than anything else, than my birthday, so I want to wish my beautiful wife Amanda a very happy birthday. I love you, baby. Happy birthday to you. And uh, so we got a lot to get into tonight as we will dive into the Olympics has just begun. This morning was the opening ceremonies, and uh, I have a a take on the opening ceremonies as well as what to watch for the Olympics because I've been watching a little bit more of it. Lately, as well as an Andy Rance tonight featuring about the Toledo Walleye. Uh, and speaking of the Walleye, we're going to talk about the Walleye as well on this episode as they took on Indianapolis on Wednesday night. And we'll recap the Walleye Roundup and ECHL Roundup for action that's going into tonight. Also, we'll dive into the Jackets uh, as they have hit the All-Star break. All-Star weekend taking place in Vegas this weekend. Uh, we'll dive into the All-Star festivities as well as the game itself, and we'll also look back on the first half of the season. But, like I said, you can be a part of our show by following us on Twitter. It is at AllAndyAlfred, as well as on Facebook.com slash Elford. So we're going to start first and foremost with the conference championship games that took place this past weekend as it, we now have the matchup set up for the Super Bowl, Super Bowl Fifty Six, in beautiful L.A. in Inglewood, California, as it will be a matchup that might not, you know, a lot of us thought maybe wasn't going to happen, you know, including yours truly. I I I will accept I will accept that that I did not think that, that was going to really happen, but I I picked it and it was absolutely right and. Uh, You know, it was just uh, for me. The shocking game for me was more the Kansas City game, and we're gonna break both games down here in just a second. But first and foremost, I want to dive into what's happening with the NFL. The NFL has two big cases going on right now in regards of like lawsuits. We're gonna first start off with this Brian Flores situation. Now Flores was not hired as the coach he was the former coach of the Miami Dolphins then he was hot then he was fired after 2 year 2 seasons now the question is what do you do with the Flores situation Flores is ch- has said that there is racism in his picking of being the not being the head coach of the New York Football Giants now to that i say you know I look at it, and I'm like, it's not his coaching style, and it's not a skin color situation. It's about a quarterback situation. And let me dive into that really quickly. The whole situation with Flores is that if he had, if ownership had to pick the right quarterback for the Dolphins, he still would be a head coach, in my opinion. He still would be a head coach. And here's why I say that. They wanted to get Justin Herbert. They wanted Justin Herbert. The Dolphins wanted Justin Herbert. And ownership said, well, we want more seats in the in the in the stadium. And the local connection would be Tua Tao Vialoa. So they went and picked Tua, and you know, honestly, in my opinion, that sets the franchise back at least four or five years. I I think Tua is not the right quarterback for the position, uh, f- especially for the Dolphins. I don't think he's the right man for the job, and it's kind of proving it throughout the season so far. And, but Flores was fired because of because he wasn't winning games, not because of the of the quote unquote ownership telling him that to throw games so they could get better draft picks. And giving him a hundred thousand dollars, if if he's if that accusation is correct, you know the league's gonna have to look into this, like seriously, seriously look into it, and you're gonna have the FBI searching into this too, because this is a big situation. But why I say Flores, you know, is a a lineup of that is because of because of ownership and drafting, not because of skin color or because of uh, uh, racial inequality that, that he's throwing out there. I'm gonna say this. I'm, gonna, I, I'm, I'm, I'm toting the line here. Toting the line here. Okay. You no. Know, Hugh Jackson is now is gonna join this Brian Flores firing or this lawsuit because he was told by the Haslam's to throw games so they could get better draft picks at the same time too, and they were going to pay him more money because of that. Now, the Haslins have come out and said that Hugh Jackson was never, never did that. They never told anybody that, and the accusation is absolutely false. And that's absolutely true. If you have the evidence to prove it, prove it. Now, Flores was offered the job, was offered an interview by the Giants' new GM, who was originally with the Buffalo Bills. Now, the Bills were out of the playoffs. They were eliminated by Kansas City. Flores was offered, was was interviewed by the Bills, but they already, ha- in his mind, they already had McDermott as the option, as their head coach, the new head coach of the New York Football Giants. G He says it was racial inequality, ra- racism that he got the opportunity to coach because of the situation. Okay. Okay. Like I said, you weren't a winning coach with the guys that you had on the team. You had 2 years with the with with Tua and they were not successful. That franchise is set back at least 10-15 years because of Tua. I'll give me that. Give me that right there. But it goes back to it goes back to coaching. You know, all the coaches that have been fired, look at the quarterback situation. Look at the quarterback situation. Okay? You've got the situation in Jacksonville. Terrible coach was Urban Meyer. He what he did was terrible. So now they're look they've got a new coach coming in. You've got The Giants basically are denying the accusations. And Flores. Absolutely. And I, I totally agree. I totally agree. He's and then he went and applied and got an interview with John Elway and the and the Denver Broncos. And so the Broncos didn't hire him. And he said that you know Elway was drunk when he met him and blah 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 blah. Denver pulls out all the files and all the meeting paperwork from him and basically says you know we met for three and a half hours we drove- we flew up to Connecticut for him, and it wasn't the he wasn't the right man for the job so I totally totally agree you know it 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 you throw all that together there, and it's just i i I just don't get the situation I really don't I'm not fully dived into it, but this situation with Flores. If he was a if if they had Herbert instead of Tua, I think Flores would still be the head coach of Miami. So it's ownership and drafting for them, which really screwed up. So it's the general manager should be, should be really scold for that. But then the whole factor that, you know, Flores was told to be, to throw games. It's if that is true, and that is real. We got some problems. We got some serious problems. Same way with. With Hugh Jackson. The Haslams have come out. And have never Jackson never accepted the blame. For losing games. He never took the exception that he was losing games. It was always his players. And this is dating back to the 2018 and 2019 seasons. Before they fired. And they got. They got Jodinski. in. Hugh Jackson. If you look at the quarterback situation. That he was dealt with. He had a young Baker Mayfield out of the situation, but before Baker, it was just a ragtag group of guys playing. It was the rotation of a quarterback in Cleveland. It really was. So you have to come to the realization that some people aren't meant for coaching. You know, some people are meant for being an offensive coordinator or defensive quarterback or a running back coach or a quarterback's coach or what have you. But to use use racism as an excuse and how you're not getting hired because of that, come on, man, you're better than that. You're better than that. Look at what you had. Look what you had around you. You were set up for failure because of it. So, you know, that's my opinion on it. And then the second situation is what's going on with, with the new Washington team. Now, the Washington football team is not the Washington football team anymore. They're not the quote-unquote Redskins form the Washington football team. Not anymore. They are now called the Washington Commanders. However, that's, a, that's one of the new things. But the big thing is what's happening on D.C. As Daniel Schneider... Has is withholding findings from the NFL investigation, and this is coming out from ESPN. I'm reporting this. this. Is the House Committee for Oversight and Reform also released a second document Friday shows that how the team requested a written investigation for Beth Wilkinson Law Firm when she was hired to conduct an internal investigation of the team. Now the investigation, the document reads that. The commissioner, Roger Goodell, previously condemned condemned that the league cannot release internal investigations because Wilkinson's presented her findings orally, not physically. The documents released Friday were provided by the NFL as part of a league response to the congressional investigation into what the committee calls a decade-long toxic work environment under the Daniel Schneider administration. And I know it's it's a mess in Washington. You know, you you threw a new name and some new paint and new colors and new uniforms on it. It's the same owner. It's the same bad team. Just telling it like it is. It's the same bad team. Same ownership. It's all terrible. Absolutely. It's all terrible. So, there's that. There's that piece for you. So, We're going to keep investigating on all that, of course. And that leads into Super Bowl week, which is this upcoming week. Now, to give you some perspective on next week's shows, we will have our regular All-Andy Elford. It will be taped on, on Monday night. We will tape it again on Monday night to recap the week before also. And we will have Monday's show will be a Facebook Live show. Now, Thursday, yours truly will be headed out to... LA we're going to do the show live we're leaving Wednesday night into Thursday I'll be headed out to LA to do to hit the radio row to do a day at radio row do the broad do all Andy Elford with the call tag from Miami not Miami but LA my apologies still thinking Miami from when we were there in 2020 but uh we will do the show we'll have some Super Bowl trivia questions for you guys next week uh, and uh, we're thinking about prizes. I don't know yet. uh, But we'll have some tr- Super Bowl trivia for you. And that will be on Monday's edition of All in the Offers. We'll have the Facebook Live show on Monday night. So that's that for you guys. But speaking of the Super Bowl, let's talk about the Super Bowl going forward. And let's talk about last week. And the conference championship games. And we'll start with the AFC conference championship games that took place. And let me just say this. Whoever, if you ever had, if you had Cincinnati winning this game, please show your hands, raise your hands. I'm raising my hand. If you listened to last week's podcast, you heard that my heart went and my gut told me to take Cincinnati, and I was absolutely right. Kansas City just, you, know, they just looked, they looked good in all aspects of the game. They did, you know, jumping out to that huge lead, that huge lead, twenty-one to ten at halftime. You know, it just says something. But the fact that the Bengals found a way to rally and to come back like they did is absolutely outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. As last Sunday at Arrowhead, the Kansas City Chiefs, the number two seed, took on the Cincinnati Bengals, the number four seed. And it was a doozy of a game. It started off with Tyreek Hill getting a 10-yard pass from Patrick Mahomes as it was 7-0 Kansas City at the 7 minutes and 17-second mark of the game. The Bengals didn't get Evan McPherson getting a 32-yard field goal, making it 7-3 after the first quarter. Then Kansas City turned on the Jets. It was then Travis Kelsey getting a 5-yard pass from Mahomes making it 14-3, and then Marome Hartman getting a three-yard pass from Mahomes on the next set of plays, making it a 21-3 to game. Now, the turning point in this game for me was after the Bengals' touchdown. So, you know, Perry, Perry getting a 41-yard pass from Burrow, making it 21-10. to Now, Kansas City had the football. They drove it down the field, got it into the red zone, and could not capitalize on points. They had mismanaged clock management. And that's where I think that Kansas City really lost the football game. I think they just absolutely just laid the bed and gave Cincinnati the opportunity to come back to the game, and they did. McPearson started in the third third quarter with a uh, 31-yard field goal late in the third quarter. And then with 14 seconds left, Jamar Chase getting the pass from Joe Burrow. And then they go for two points. And convert. And we're tied at 21. Now, here's where the kicker of all this is. Fourth quarter. Avin six at the 6 4 mark of the fourth quarter kicks a key 52-yard field goal. And I'm sitting at home watching this game and I'm like, they kicked this field goal. They just need, defense needs to settle down and stop them. Need to settle down and stop them. Bengals are up, uh, up 24-21. But they left too much time for Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes drives it down the field. Kept driving it down the field. And they kick a field goal as time expired. Forcing overtime again. Now, the overtime rules like we had a week before apply. It's a brand new game. First person to score. A touchdown wins the game. If it's a field goal, the opposition gets an opportunity to possess the football. So, it led into that, and Kansas City wins the toss, and I'm saying, oh, God, here we go again. Here we go again. First of all, they picked heads. Cincinnati picked heads. You know the phrase, tails never fails, and the Le- coin landed in tails, and Kansas City won the toss. They received the football, took it down the field, but then one of the key plays of the game in the overtime session. Three plays into the overtime session. Three plays into the overtime session. Mahomes throws it deep left to Tyreek Hill. It's intercepted by Bell. Off of Bates. Bengals drive it down the field. And Pearson kicks the game-winning field goal. The Bengals go to the Super Bowl by beating the Chiefs 27-24. Absolutely amazing. Who day who day, who they say going to beat them Bengals. As Burrow was 23 for 38 for 250 yards. Two TDs, one interception. He was only sacked one time. His QBR rating was a 54.9. Mixon, 21 carries, 88 yards. Chase, one carry, three yards. He had also six catches for 54 yards, one TD. Perny, three catches, 43 yards, one TD. Higgins was the top receiver at six catches for 103 yards. No TDs in the game. Zuma did not play. Uh, did not have much of a catch. Sample. One catch, four yards. Boyd, four catches, 19 yards. For the Chiefs, in the game. Chiefs in the game. It was Patty Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes! 26 for 39 for 275 yards. He had three TDs and two interceptions in the game. He was sacked four times. His QBR rating was a 40.8. McKinnon, 12 carries for 65 yards. Kelsey, 10 targets for 95 yards. Tyreek Hill, 7 targets for 78 yards. Uh, Hardman, 3 catches, 52 yards, 1 TD in the game. The overall team stats look like this. Kansas City had 24 first downs to so the Bengals, 21. On third down, the Bengals were 8 for 14. The Chiefs six for twelve. They were shooting at fifty percent of the sixty-six plays for the Bengals. They had three hundred fifty-nine total yards of offense, two forty-three through the air, one sixteen on the ground. Of the sixty-seven plays that Kansas City ran, three hundred seventy-five total yards of offense, two thirty-six through the air, one thirty-nine on the ground. Two penalties for eleven yards for Kansas City. Four penalties, thirty yards for the for the Bengals. the The Bengals one for four in red zone. The Chiefs 3-for-5 in red zone opportunities. Two turnovers in the game, which was the costly one for Mahomes as he threw two interceptions. Burrow threw one interception in the game. The Bengals led in time with possession at 35 minutes and 56 seconds. Kansas City 29 minutes and 42 seconds. So the Bengals, representative of the AFC North, the team that lost twice. To the Browns are going to the Super Bowl. My dad does not like Joe Burrow. I was giving it to him the entire game. I was. I was giving it to him the entire game. Because this kid deserves it. This kid is now, I believe, an elite quarterback. I think he... Has stepped out of the shoes. And I think he is now into the spotlight. And he is an elite. An elite quarterback. In my opinion. We'll see how they shake out in the Super Bowl. As it was the AFC champion. AFC champion Bengals. Who would they play in LA? Would they be playing Jimmy Garoppolo? And the San Francisco 49ers. Or Niners. Or would they be playing Matthew Stafford and the LA Rams? The Rams, coming into the game, have lost two straight games against San Francisco, including the Week 18 performance that got San Francisco into the playoffs. Now, San Francisco, I think, ran out of, was going to run out of this team. I didn't know if it was going to be in the championship game or at the Super Bowl. I figured it was going to be the Super Bowl. A lot, of, a lot of me said that, you know, San Francisco, was was going to be a rematch of a Super Bowl from the past, the Bengals and the 49ers. But it wasn't the case. Stafford really stepped up to the plate, and I, I was very, very, very happy with him. And, you know, and his targets are just absolutely money, especially Cooper Cup, because we had no scoring in the first quarter. It went back and forth. We didn't get our first touchdown until the 846 mark of the second quarter. When Cooper Cup was targeted by Matthew Stafford for a 16-yard pass, Matt Gay with a kick, it was 7-0. But then Debo Samuel from the San Francisco 49ers caught a 44-yard pass from Jimmy Garoppolo. And Robbie Solid Gold kicks it on the uprights, and we're tied at 7. Gold kicks a field goal at the gun in the second quarter. It's 10-7 after 30 minutes. Third quarter, George Kittle kicked it up a notch, putting a little bit more salt in the Rams' wound with less than a minute to play in, less than two minutes to play in the in the quarter. It was targeted by Garoppolo, a 16-yard pass, 17-7 in favor of the Niners. Now, I was thinking that San Francisco was going to win it after that, they could shut it down, but Stafford and the Rams fine. Way to get things done. Cooper Cup again, another great target from Stafford. Gets an 11-yard pass. It's 17-14. Now I'm saying to myself, the the Niners all they need to go is go down the field, and they couldn't. They couldn't get down the field. Turns it over. Gay kicks a 40-yard field goal at 6:49 to go in the reg in regulation. Makes it 17-17. Niners try to get something going. Again, fail an opportunity. Turn it over. Rams get the football. They kick a field goal. A 30-yard chip shot. 20-17. 49ers try again to get down the field. Set up a field goal to try to win it. They don't succeed. And for the first time, officially, In the history of the National Football League, we will have a home team playing in the Super Bowl. And it will be the Rams with their huge win over San Francisco getting over the hump finally. The third time is the charm. Rams are the big 20, the 17 win. Over the San Francisco 49ers. The overall team stat, overall box score looks like this. Garoppolo, 16 for 30, for 232 yards, two TDs, one interception in the game. His QBR rating was a 71%. Debo was targeted seven car- with seven carries for 26 yards. Mitchell, 11 carries, 20 yards in the game. He, but Samuel was care- targeted four times for 72 yards, 72 yards catching for one TD. George Kittle, two catches, 27 yards, one TD in the game. Uh, Mitchell, three catches, 50 yards, no TDs. In the game for Matthew Stafford, he was 31 for 45 with two TDs and one interception. He had 337 total yards of offense. He was sacked twice, QBR rating of a 61.9. Uh, Akers had 13 carries for 48 yards, Mitchell 10 carries, 16 yards for the Rams. Cooper Cup was targeted twice with two touchdowns. He was had 11 receptions for 142 yards. OBJ got nine catches for 113 yards. Burton, 5 catches, 57 yards. Higby, 2 catches, 18 yards as well. The overall team stats, like I mentioned before, the Rams had 25 first downs to San Francisco, 16. On third down, the Rams were 11 for 18, where the Niners were 3 for 9. The Rams were 0 for 1 on fourth down. Of the 76 plays that the Rams ran, they told 396 total yards of offense. 326 of it was through the air. 70 yards on the ground. For the Niners, they ran 50 plays for 282 yards, 232 through the air, 50 yards on the ground. Uh, The Niners 1-for-1 in their red zone attempts. The Rams 2-for-6 in that one. The Rams only had 2 penalties for 10 yards. San Francisco, 6 penalties, 54 yards. Both teams turned over the football once, and they were interceptions by both Stafford and Garoppolo. The possession arrow went to the Rams at 35 minutes and 39 seconds to the San Francisco 49ers, 24 minutes and 21 seconds. So the Rams get over the hump, find the gold, and win. And they are now the NFC representatives for the Super Bowl. And the stage is now set as it will be the NFC champion, LA Rams taking on the Cincinnati Bengals, the AFC champions on Super Bowl Sunday, this upcoming Sunday, the 13th, the day before Valentine's Day at SoFi Stadium in LA. 6.30 kickoff on NBC. So it's good to see that. Like I said, we will talk all about the Super Bowl next week on All Andy Elford. We will be in LA on Thursday for Radio Row, and then we will be at. uh, We will be in LA on Thursday for for the Super Bowl coverage, and Monday we'll be here at the studios to recap what's happening this past weekend, which will be the Pro Bowl. The Pro Bowl taking place this upcoming Saturday. Excuse me, this upcoming Sunday, three o'clock. AFC versus NFC on ABC. You know, no money line on that. It's really a AFC's favorite by one point. But who really bets on the Pro Bowl? It's like, it's like the All Star game in the NHL, which is happening this up this weekend. And it's like, I'll say this: the the world of athletic All Star games is happening all in one spot. You have the NHL All Star game, which was happening on Saturday, and the NFL Pro Bowl on Sunday coincidence? I think not. I think not. So, we'll see how that all shakes out. As you're listening to all of the offer today right here on the Anchor Network whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Bleaker, Stitcher, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you for tuning into the show tonight. And now, let's hit the ice as speaking of all-star games, the NHL has hit the all-star break. Well, let's take a look back on Let's take a look back on the ooh, Let's take a look back on the jackets. Oh, God in heaven. It's time to fire the cannon. And it's time to put on your jackets. It's time for the Jackets Report. Right here on All Andy Alfred. So it's now time for the Jackets report, of course, as we now hit the all-star break for the Jackets this week. And when we last left you, the Jackets were getting ready for a big two-game, a big four-game series going forward. Two games at Nationwide, of three games at Nationwide, one game on the road. And we're going to start first and foremost with what happened last Wednesday. If it wasn't a call to the moment, on this game, I I don't know what else you would say to this. All right, this was a absolutely dreadful, terrible game. Probably the the worst, the worst performance that this team has ever had. And I have been watching this team. I've been covering this team for so long. Been watching it as a fan. Now covering them. This game on Wednesday. On Wednesday, last Wednesday, was honestly the worst game I have ever witnessed in my entire life. And that's going back to a few weeks ago when they played Florida and lost 9 2. That game plays into p- comparison to what we saw last Wednesday as the Jackets took on the Calgary Flames at Nationwide Arena. Now, these were big games for the Jackets. You know, they're still, still in it. My ear quotes are out. there still in it. But let me just say this. This game right here was dominated by the Flames from start to finish. It felt like the Jackets just, you know, weren't there. Didn't want to play. The Flames absolutely, absolutely dominated the Jackets. It started early. It's Backlund getting his 5th of the season from Coleman. 1-0 Calgary. 421 mark of the first period. In the second, Magdapan getting his 19th of the season on a tip shot from Zanzanoff and Milan Lucic. It's 2-0 Flames. Then Matthew Kachuk getting his 19th of the season from Goudreau and Anderson. 3-0 Flames after 40 minutes, and I'm saying to myself, okay, we can, let's rally. Make an opportunity, we can rally, we can come back. No, Lindholm, his 14th of the season, 30 seconds into the third period. From Goudreau and Hannafin, it's 4 nothing Flames. And then Branson, his first of the season from Asrana, 5 nothing Flames. And then Kachuk again, his second of the night. 20th of the season from Goudreau on a snapshot beating Merzlinkets and that was the final. Jackets fall to the Flames. 6-0. Merzlinkets was held out to dry in this game. And I say that because the Flames put 62 shots on goal. 62 shots on goal! What am I watching? A Billy game? 62 shots on goal and Merce gets stops 56 of them! You never, ever, ever give that much up! In a game! Bruce Lincoln should have had a star, the number one star in this game because of how many shots he faced. 62 shots on goal. And what what does the Jackets put up? 23. The possession arrow was clearly with Calgary in this game. They dominated us in the faceoff dot. They dominated us on the blocking. They dominated us on the giveaways. In the first period alone, Jackets were outshot 16-9. In the second and third period, the Jackets had only eight shots in the second, six shots in the third. Calgary had 23 shots in each of the periods, the second and the third. You left Merce-Lincolns out to dry. The writing was on the wall for me then. Larson is not... And I'm going to say it. We got him for a two-year contract. After this season, gone. How this team is not performing. I, I listened to the NHL Network, and they had the under-review show. And I responded yesterday if you listen to it I responded with I wish we could get John Tortorella back because Larson is not the man he is definitely not the man this was a pathetic showing by this team honestly it was so pathetic the only takeaway from this game is that we had, we out hit them. I felt like this game we checked out. It was absolutely embarrassing. There was not a chance that the Jackets had in the game. They let Calgary walk into nationwide, absolutely get dominated by them, and Calgary walks out shaking up. Well, these are the Jackets. It's embarrassing. It's absolutely embarrassing. I don't know what to say. This game was absolutely embarrassing. And then the bad thing is, we turn around the next night and play the New York Rangers. Rangers, a dominant force, top team in the Metro at the time. At this time, when they were playing them. We seemed to show up for that game, but we didn't show up for the Calgary. As it was, they took on the Rangers at nationwide last Thursday. And of course the bread man delivered. He started the scoring off on a wrist shot, beating Corpusalo. In the game. Corpy started after Berslinkis was held out to dry. Beating Corpusalo from Fox and Lingram 1-0 Rangers. And then Boudreaux, his ninth of the season from Schneider and Panarin on a tip shot. 2-0 Rangers. I looked at this and I said, this is it. This is the 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 nails are going into the coffin. And they are. This team is this team is a joke. This team is a joke. Bullshit to Yarmo Kekalina saying that this is a reload. This is this is a rebuild. I don't care what you say. It's a rebuild. This team is... This team is a joke. But, you know, it was... They had bright spots in this game. Nyquist getting his 11th of the season from Line A and Jenner. It's 2-1. And then Jenner then tying it up at the 726 mark on the power play. Finally connecting on the power play. From Warinski and Bjorkstrand, the maestro. It's 2-2 after 20 minutes. The Jackets turn on the heat again in the second period. Sean Corrales from Domi and Warinski. It's 3-2 Jackets. Then Jenner gets a beautiful pass from Line a, Buries it past Gorgiev. It's 4-2 CBJ. But then Sabanajan on the power play. Gets it. From Panarin and Schneider. It's 4-3. And I'm saying to myself, here we go. Here we go again. The coll- Here comes the collapse. But somehow, someway, Sean Corrales puts the team on his back and finds a way. Has a couple block shots and buries it into the empty net. And the Jackets win 5-3 over the Rangers, getting a big win. Over well, the metropolitan team, Jenner the number one star, Corrali the number two star, Wurinski the number three star. I need to take a drink of this. I have a Dodge pepper right now. Oh my god! Because they play for the Rangers, but they don't play for Calgary. Every game matters. Games matter in November, December, and January. If you want to play in April and in the playoffs in May. Games matter. They matter. No matter what the situation is. And Larson has everybody to blame. And that is him. But it all goes back to him getting his guys up for this game. Up for this game and up for the Calgary game. He gets him up for the Ranger game, but he doesn't get him up for this one. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And then we get to Sunday. Sunday. Jackets headed up to the Bell Center in Montreal where no fans were in attendance. And Montreal is terrible this year. So I knew we were going to win this game. I was hoping that we weren't looking ahead to what the next night would be. And we'll get to that here in a second. But they absolutely dominated this game. And it's because they were playing in Montreal. Montreal's terrible. But they let Montreal jump out to the early 1-0 lead lead from Nick Suzuki. Suzuki gets his ninth of the season from Toffoli and Lettinen. It's 1-0 Montreal. But then the Jackets really turned on the heat. Line A getting his seventh of the season from Nyquist and Gavrikov. The bug connecting at the three fifty one mark of the first period. Then at the eight thirty nine mark of the first period... You don't know Jack Roslevic. Gets his 7th of the season from Bayruder. It's 2-1 Jackets. Then Eric Robinson, shorthanded on a breakaway, gets a three, gets the goal. It's 3-1. And Igor Chinnikov getting a wrist shot, beating the goaltender. It's 4-1 Jackets after 20 minutes of play. Then Tyler Toffoli in the second period cuts the deficit to 2 on his ninth of the season from Lenton and Suzuki with a minute, less than a minute to play in that period. So it gives Montreal some momentum. They get the momentum to start off in the third period as they score a shorthanded goal off of the stick. And Lettonin gets his seventh of the season from Evans and Petrie. And it's 4-3 Montreal. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, oh boy. Don't tell me we're going to lose to Montreal. Montreal only has single digits in wins. About single digits is what it is outside of cold. The Jackets turned on the heat. Cole Sillinger getting his 7th of the season from Andrew Peek. It's 5-3 Jackets. And then Line A puts the dagger in the game. His 8th of the season into the empty net from Sillinger and Nyquist. 6-3 Jackets. That was the final at the Bell Center in Montreal with no fans in the stands. And it was weird to see no fans in the stands, but they were using audio for that. As the Jackets getting a 6-3 win over the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, Eric Robinson, the number one star. Artillery Lenton, the number two star. Cold Sillinger, the number three star. Shots on goal in the game went as followed. For Montreal in the game, they had a total of 35 shots. The Jackets had 36 shots on net. Jackets led in the faceoff down at 54% to forty to 46%. Both teams over on the power play. The Jackets were out hit by the Canadiens, 29-17, out blocked by the Canadiens. 18 to 7. They had 10 giveaways and five takeaways for the Jackets. They led in that department. So the Jackets outshot both Montreal in the first and the second, and Montreal outshot them in the in the third, 17 to 12. So the Jackets, a big win in Montreal. Could they continue the momentum? They went back home the next night to play the Florida Panthers. Now, this is a big game. Florida is the best team. I think in the Eastern Conference. I think they are the front runner now for the Stanley Cup. And that's my really honest opinion. They're becoming the front runner and you know, the analytics, they're playing this money ball kind of situation with uh like Billy Bean playing the analytics, getting the right guys at the right price. They're absolutely connecting on it and it showed. It absolutely showed as Marchman getting his seventh of the season. By the way, Marchman was playing with the Orlando Solar Bears. A few months ago. He started the scoring 32 seconds into the first period. It's 1-0 Florida. And then Sam Reinhardt getting his 13th of the season. It's 2-1 Florida. 2-0 Florida. For Gustav Nyquist getting his 12th of the season from Beirut. It's 2-1 Florida. And then Florida turns on the Jets again. Barkoff getting his 21st of the season from Huberdeau. Huberdeau's 46th assist of the season. Eckblad his 30th assist of the season on the power play. And that's what killed the Jackets. The power play really, you know, the penalty kill really sucked. Honestly, really sucked. Reinhardt again, his second of the night. It's 4-1 Florida on a tip shot from Marchman and Londo. It's 4-1 Florida. Before the bug, Patrick Liney getting his ninth of the season from Voracek on a wrist shot. Beating Sergei Maboski. it's 4-2 Florida after 20 minutes. Reinhardt then gets a hat trick in this game. He gets his 15th of the season. It's 5-2 Florida at the 427 mark of the second period. For Emil Benstrom getting his second of the season at the 534 mark of the second period. Not even a minute later, trying to get it bounced back. Benstrom is second from Ross, Vic and Domi. It's 5-3 Florida. And then Linea unassisted on a breakaway getting in the goal. It's 5-4 Florida. And when that happened, I thought the Jackets were building the momentum. I really did. I'm sitting there watching the game with my father, watching the game, and we're we're looking at this. I'm like, you know, they got momentum. I think they could do it. They, They just need to keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And sure enough, they pushed, but Florida retaliated, and they capitalized. As Owen Tippett getting his sixth of the season from Verhage. And Bennett, it's 6th floor, Florida. And then Weaker, on a snapshot, beats merce, beats linkins Beats the goaltender, merce It's 7-4, Florida. They pull Merz Linkitz at the end of the second period. Corposalo comes in, he gives up only one goal in that third period, that was Marshmuth getting a hat trick. Excuse me, his second of the night. 8 for Florida. And that was the final. Jackets fall to Florida. Their final game before the All-Star break. They fall to Florida 8-4. Marchmont, the number one star. Reinhardt the number two star. Lindell the number three star. Overall, shots on goal in the game. Favorite in Florida, they had forty shots on that. The Jackets thirty-six. Florida had fifty-four percent on the face-off dot. The Jackets were forty-six percent. The Florida Panthers were one for three on the power play. Jackets zero for two. Jackets out-hit the Panthers thirty-three to nine. Out-blocked them twenty-one to fourteen. But the Panthers had five giveaways, and nine takeaways in the game. Both teams tied in shots in the after twenty minutes. Florida led in the shot department in the second, and the Jackets finished in the third. The Jackets finish the first half of the season with the loss to the Florida Panthers. And we look at the record for the Jackets right now. Jackets are 20-22-1. and one. They are two games under 500 Did you think that the Jackets would be under 500 If you did, raise your hand. All right, here's another question for you. Did you think the Jackets would be out of a playoff hunt by this time? Show of hands. You're right. The Jackets, I think, are out of the playoff hunt. And we look at the first half of the season. We look at some of the key losses in this first half of the season. The game on the 15th of January against Florida was embarrassing. Last Wednesday against Calgary, that was a embarrassing loss. Losing to Tampa at home 7-2, to that was a loss. Embarrassing loss. The month of December was terrible for the Jackets. Six losses in the month of December alone. The only bright spot to the whole situation was the win in, in Seattle and the win against San Jose losing to Washington 3 to 1, at Washington, losing to Dallas 3 to 2 was terrible. Losing to the Leafs 5 to 4 when that game was really 5 to 2. You look at November, losses in Vegas, losses in Seattle, back-to-back losses against Washington and New York. The bright spot winning against Detroit. You know, this team is just I don't know. It's inconsistent. And then the second, you know, opening night, the big win against Arizona, the big win against Seattle, but then losing to Detroit, you know, for me the slide began, the loss to Washington in November really started beginning the slide. When losing two of their last three. Winning in Arizona was big. But, the, you know, the Coyote, they shouldn't have not won that game. They they came back and went in a shootout. Losing in Vegas. You know, and looking at the overall stats of the team right now. Jenner's got 30 points. Bjorkstrand's got 28. So does Voracek. Jenner's got 18 goals this season. The Maestro and Gustav Nyquist both have 12 goals. Plus minus is in favor of Sean Corrali at 7. Garakoff is a plus 3. Carlson is a plus 2. By the way, the goalie percentage. <coughs> Corpusalo, 3.82 goals against average. Merzlink is right now at 3.39. Tarasov, who has played a few games, his goals against average is a 2.40. His save percentage is at 9.937. Linkis .905. Korpisalo, .887. Elvis has got 14 wins. Corpy has six wins. Tarasov has none. Linkis only has two shutouts this season. The power play percentage. Jackets ranked. 30th in the NHL. The two behind them are Montreal and Arizona. Penalty kill. Jackets rank actually pretty good. 16th at 80 percent of their penalty kill. It's not bad. Faceoff percentages go in favor. For the jackets at eight and eighteenth place at forty nine point three percent shots per game. Here's the big one: the jackets have the worst in the NHL. They average thirty five shots a game, worst in the NHL of all thirty two teams. And then here's the here's the game shots a, against per game is the Jackets at 35.4%. That just says something. That just says something. <sighs> the Jackets are now off. They will have a few days off as the All-Star game takes place this weekend. We'll get back at it on Tuesday night at Capital One Arena as it will be the Jackets taking on the Washington Capitals Big game for the Jackets there. Then they travel Thursday up to Buffalo to battle the Sabers, and then Saturday afternoon, twelve thirty puck drop. They'll tell, next Saturday will be against the Montreal Canadiens. So there's that laid out for you. Those are games that have been canceled and postponed because of COVID. So they're moving some games around for that. So there's that for you. And by the way, of that schedule going forward, the Jackets will have a total of five of. Uh, uh, the games that they are making up, five of which will be road games Washington, Buffalo, Montreal, then to Calgary, then back to the United Center in Chicago before they return home to play the Buffalo Sabres, and then at home against the Toronto Maple Leafs. And then they're technically back into the regular schedule with Florida and Carolina. There's that for you. Looking at the standings going into going into this all star break. Florida, top spot in the Atlantic, and I think they're they, they prove that they are the top team, I think, in the Atlantic division. And they're proving that they're the top team, I think, in the Eastern Conference. At thirty-two, ten, and five with sixty-nine points. Uh, Tampa 30, 10, and 6 with 66 points. Toronto is in third at 29, 10, and 3 with 61 points. Metropolitan Division top top team is the Carolina Hurricanes at 31, 9, and 2 with 64 points. The Rangers are 30, 13, and 4 with 64 points. The Penguins are in third at 27, 11, and 8 with 62 points. The wild card standing looks like this. Washington holding the top spot at 25, 13, and 9 with 59 points. Boston 26 14 and 3 with 55 points on the outside looking in. Are the Detroit Red Wings at 20 21 and 6 with 46 points. The Jackets in fourth position at 20 22 and 1 with 41 points. The Islanders are 39 games played are 16 17 and 6 with 38 points. Philadelphia is 15 22 and 8 with 38 points. Buffalo 14, 24, and 7 with 35 points. The Devils 15, 25, and 5 with 35 points. Ottawa is 14, 22, and 4 with 32 points. And Montreal is rounding out the Eastern Conference at 8, 29, and 7 with 23 points. And they have played 44 games this season. In the Western Conference, it's a little bit more hard to pick out who is going to be in the playoffs. The East is pretty much pretty much set. The West is a little bit different story. In the Central Division, it is led by the Colorado Avalanche, Felix's Lucas's Colorado Avalanche at 32, 8, and 4, with 68 points. Nashville holding the second spot at 28, 14, and 4, with 60 points. Minnesota 28, 10, and 3, with 59 points. In the Pacific Division, it is the Vegas Golden Knights at the top spot. At 27, 16, and 3 with 57 points. The Kings, 24, 16, and 7 with 55 points. The Ducks, 23, 16, and 9 with 55 points. On the wildcard race, St. Louis holding the top spot at 26, 13, and 5 with 57 points. Calgary, their huge win against Columbus really helps them. They're in the wild card, their second wildcard position at 23, 13, and 6 with 52 points. Outside looking in, see the Edmonton Oilers at 23, 16, and 3 with 49 points. Dallas 23, 18, and 2 with 48 points. San Jose 22, 20, and 4 with 48 points. The Vancouver Canucks at 20, 20, and 6 with 46 points. Winnipeg holding spot at 18, 17, and 7 with 43 points. Chicago 16, 23, and 7 with 39 points. Seattle 15, 27, and 4 with 34 points. And the worst team in the Western Conference is the Arizona Coyotes at 11, 30, and 4 with 26 points. That is the The updated standings going into the All-Star break. The All-Star break will be taking place starting tonight as it is the skills competition 7 o'clock on ESPN as well as on Sportsnet. It will take place from T-Mobile Arena as well as at the Bellagio Hotel as well as the Discover NHL Fountain Faceoff will debut at 2022's All-Star game presented by... The presented by DraftKings Sportsbook in Las Vegas on Friday. Vegas, uh, by Chief Officer Stephen Myers, is a perfect place with and the backdrop to do something outside the venue as well as inside. And we did a fair amount of research, and it says that we've settled on what we think is one of the most iconic spots in Vegas, which is the Fountains in Bellagio, to do it. And they're going to do like a shot contest where they'll have Huberto and Goudreau will be among the the debut in the fountain face-offs for that one. It will be Goudreau, Jordan Neberly, Roman Yossi, Nick Suzuki, Zach Warinski from the Blue Jackets, and Mark Stone. As well as former US national team, Joey Louise Davidson, and she'll be participating in the fountain competition. So new other news and notes around the NHL besides the all-star game, Pat Verbeek. Is now hired as the new general manager from the Anaheim Ducks. He was an assistant in the Red Wing organization as well as the GM of the Grand Rapids Griffins. Uh, the big news also out of this is that Wayne Russell will look, is looking forward to participating in the NHL All Star Game. Russell, a member of, which is the son of Kirk Russell and actress Goldie Hahn. Will participate in the NHL All Star Weekend, so they're adding a little flavor to it as well. The they're also going to have a game of twenty one, where they'll be players will be shooting at shooting a puck at a scorecard of different playing cards, and they have to draw the twenty one no matter what the shot is. I like that idea. Of course, you'll have the fastest skater, accurate shooting. It's one of those events that you you look forward to all year, you really do. Uh, we will not have Alexander Ovechkin, Tom Wilson, and Yo- and Jordan Maslin will represent will represent the Metropolitan Division as uh, Goudreau will now be the new captain of the Metropolitan Division as Alexander Ovechkin tested positive for COVID nineteen, so he is in COVID protocol as well. So we're looking forward to it. The All-Star game. Um, I'm looking forward to the address for uh Bettman. He will meet with the media. I think it's either tonight or tomorrow. I want to hear where the new the next winter classic will be next year. He makes usually makes that announcement at All-Star Weekend, as well as discussing about the players not gonna be participating. I wanted his full opinion on the players not participating in this year's Winter Olympics, and we'll get to the Winter Olympics here in just a little bit. As you're listening to All Andy Elford tonight, right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Bleaker, Stitcher, however you're listening, wherever you're listening, thank you for tuning in. And now let's keep hitting the ice and let's talk a little walleye hockey as well. It's time to hit the pond. It's time for the Walleye Roundup right here on All Andy Alfred. So it's now time for the Walleye Roundup and ECHL news and notes around the East Coast Hockey League, of course. And we're going to start first and foremost with what happened last weekend, the weekend. Of the 28th of January, as the as the walleye took on the Indianapolis Fuel at Indiana Farmers Coliseum in the capital city of Indianapolis, Indiana, on the fairgrounds, and it started off with Keenan having a great night for the walleye as he got his first his first goal for the walleye of the night at the 29 second mark into the first period, his eighth of the season for Mitchell, Hurt, and Brett Boeing. It was one nothing fish. And then in the same period, Keenan getting his second of the game and second of the period, getting his ninth of the season for Miller and Grafani. It's 2-0 Fish after 20 minutes of play. Indianapolis then capitalized, and it was Elmer getting his tenth of the season for Martin on a shorthanded goal, beating uh, Milosek. And it was 2-1 Fish still. And then in the third period, Meyer getting his second of the season from Cole Frazier and Mitchell Hurd into the empty net. And that was the final at Indiana Farmers Coliseum as the walleye getting a big 3-1 win over the Indianapolis Fuel. Shots on goal in the game was in favor of Indy. They had 36 shots on net to Toledo's 23. Both teams 0-1 for 1 on the power play. Merlosic stopping 35 of 36 is save percentage of a .989. For the Indy Fuel, it was Malachi stopping 20 of 22, his save percentage of a point nine seven five. So the Fish getting a big 3-1 win on Friday night. Uh, Other scores around the East Coast League on Friday, the 28th of January. It was the Reading Royals winning over the Adirondack Thunder 5-2. It was Greenville beating Florida 4-3. Maine falls to the Worcester Railers, 6-3. Atlanta, a 1-0 win over Jacksonville. South Carolina falls to Norfolk, 6-4. It was the Cyclones of Cincinnati, a winner 7-2 over the Wheeling Nailers. It was Kalamazoo, a 5-2 win over the Heartlanders of Iowa. Newfoundland falls to the Allen Americans, 3-2. Rapid City, a 4-3 win over the Tulsa Oilers. And Idaho, a 4-1 win over the Kansas City Mavericks on Friday, the 28th of January. We get to the next night, the Fish... Then hit the road. They went to Wheeling and Wheeling came to came to the Huntington Center. And Wheeling just for the first time. Wheeling just dominated this game from start to finish. They're a physical team. It did start off with Schultz getting his his fifth of the season, getting the fish on the board. It was one-nothing. But Wheeling just capitalized on opportunity after opportunity. As Hampton getting his fourth of the season from Hutchinson and Amari, it was one-one. After 20 minutes of play, and then Wheeling scoring two consecutive goals in the second period, one for Devonchek, his fourth of the season from Seagram and Hoff, and then it was Smith getting his third of the season from Amare and Hutzinger, and it was 3-1 nailers after 40 minutes of play. Wheeling then capitalizes in the third period at the 833 mark of that frame. As Dorley getting his sixth of the season from Ortiz and Hutchinson, it's four-one. Wheeling before Hawkins getting his ninth of the season. By the way, the Dorley goal was on the power play. Hawkins getting his ninth of the season. It was 4-2 fish, but then the Nailers really put it away. Hutchinson getting his 12th of the season from Sean Boomhauer. It was 5-2 wheeling. And then on the power play, it was Amina getting his 16th of the season from Alasko. It was six two wheeling and then Doherty getting his second of the night. His seventh of the season from Hutchinson and Milletico on the power play. It was seven-two wheeling, and that was the final as the Nailers pound out the fish seven to two. Toledo outshot wheeling in the game thirty-two to twenty-six. Wheeling three for six on the power play. Toledo 0 for three in the game. Malosic stopping nineteen of twenty-six. His save percentage was a point eight eight seven. And Colosi getting the win. Four wheeling, he stopped 30 of 32. His save percentage of .975. Other games happening on that day on the 29th of January. Reading falls to Maine two to one. It was the Adirondack Thunder falling to the Lions of Tramović six to three. Greenville a three nothing win over the Everblades. Fort Wayne falls to Wooster eight to five. You had Norfolk a four one win over South Carolina. Cincinnati a five one win over. The Indy Fuel, Kalamazoo, a 5-2 win over the Iowa Heartlanders. Newfoundland falls to Allen, 2-1. Tulsa loses, actually, to Wichita, 6-4. And Idaho, a 3-2 win over the Kansas City Mavericks. We get to Sunday, and the Fish then took on the Indy Fuel at home. And they pounded out the Fuel and capping off three games in three days. And they go 2-1 on that weekend with a big 5-1 win. Over the Indy Fuel. And it started off with Keeney getting his 10th of the season. From Boeing and Moffitt. It was one nothing fish after 20 minutes of play. And then it was Lee getting his six from Indy. From Yetman and Thomas. It was 1-1. Before Brandon Schultz. With under a minute to play in the game. Under, under a minute to play in the second period. Getting his 6th of the season. It was 2-1 fish after 40 minutes of play. Hawkinson getting his 10th of the season. On an empty net. It was 3-1 fish. Her getting his third of the season from Keenan into the empty net in the third period, making it 4-1, and then Purcelli getting his second of the season from Grafani and Parker at the 1945 by 45 mark of the third period. And it was 5-1 fish. That was the final as they outshot Indy in the game 25-21. Both teams over on the power play. Indy 0 for 2, Toledo 0 for 4. Belosek gets the win. He stopped 20 of 21 in the game. His save percentage of a .975. For Lackey, He stopped 20 of 23. His save percentage of a So there is that for you guys. The Fish getting a big win. Other games on that Sunday. Uh, South Carolina salvages a game out of Norfolk with a 2-1 win in a shootout. Atlanta 5-2 win over Jacksonville. Allen 4-2 win over Newfoundland. In overtime, it was the Florida Everblades a 6-5 win over Greenville. Fort Wayne a 6-4 win over Worcester. It was the Maine Mariners falling to the Lions 3-2 in those games on Sunday. Monday, Orlando beats Utah, falls to Utah 3-2 on the 31st. On February 1st, it was Kansas City a 2-1 win over the Tulsa Oilers. Then we get to Wednesday. This past Wednesday, the Fish took on the Indy Fuel at Indiana Farmers Coliseum, and the Fish getting a big 6-3 win over the Indy Fuel. It started off with Mitchell Hurd's fourth goal of the season from Keenan and Marriott. It's 1-0 Fish. Then in that same period at the 13:48 mark of the period, it was Parker from Frazier and it was 2-0 Fish after 20 minutes of play. And then Randy Gozola getting his seventh of the season from Park and Tomlick, making it a 3-0 Fish lead. And then Brandon Schultz in that same period, at the eighteen thirty-seven mark of the second period, getting his seventh of the season from Hawkins and Pernini, it's four nothing Fish. But right before the end of the period, it was Indianapolis getting a goal from Thomas, from Lee and Majek on the power play, and it was two one after forty minutes of play. Thomas then getting his eleventh of the season from Martin and Craighead. The game four two Indianapolis before Brandon Schultz getting his. Eighth of the season from Tom Neck and making it a 5-2 game. Indy then capitalizes from Craighead. His 13th of the season from Elmar and Cameron. It's 5-3 Indianapolis, but then into the empty net was Randy Gazzola. His eighth of the season from Mitchell Heard. And that was the final from the Farmers Coliseum as the fish getting a big 6-3 win over the Indianapolis Fuel. Indy out shooting in the fish in the game 37-25. Indy 1-5 for five on the power play. Toledo over four. Molossic getting the start for oh, excuse me, Kane Fulcher starting for the fish. He stopped 34 of 37 coming back down from Grand Rapids. Save percentage of a It was Gillum starting. I mean Malackey starting. He stopped 13 of 16. Save percentage of a He was pulled, and Gillum will start finish. He stopped six of eight in the game. So Fish getting a big 6-3 win. Other games on Wednesday, it was Adirondack a winner in a shootout 4-3 over the Fort Wayne Gomets. In overtime, it was Atlanta a 2-1 win over Norfolk. Maine was a winner 3-2 over the Lions of Travolos. Iowa falls to Cincinnati 6-3. Allen falls to Wichita 3-1. Idaho a 3-0 win over the Jacksonville Icemen. On, and then yesterday evening on the 3rd of February, it was Redding a 9-2 win over the Newfoundland Growlers. Uh, it was Florida a 4-1 win over the Orlando Solar Bears. In overtime, the Lions fall to the Maine Mariners 2-1. And Jacksonville a 4-1 win over the Utah Grizzlies. Now tonight in, in the East Coast Hockey League, Redding is in Newfoundland to battle the Growlers. Fort Wayne is in Adirondack to battle the Thunder. They're playing those those Thunder for four straight, three straight, excuse me. Florida travels to Orlando. To battle the Battle of the Bears. Norfolk is in Greenville, the Battle of the Swamp Rabbits. Kalamazoo is in Worcester to Battle the Railers. Wheeling is at home against Indianapolis. Tulsa is in Allen to battle the Americans. Rapid City is in Kansas City to battle the Mavericks. Idaho is in Wichita. the Battle of the Thunder. Jacksonville is hosting on the road in Utah. The fish are on the ice tonight seven fifteen puck drop. They'll take on the Iowa Heartlanders. In a big game for them. And then on Saturday, the fish traveled down I-75 to Cincinnati, Ohio. The battle of the Cyclones at Heritage Bank Center. 735 puck drop for that one. Sunday slate sees them back at home against the Indy Fuel 515 puck drop for that one. So big slate for the fish. News and notes around the East Coast Hockey League for you as well. The big news, of course, is that the Newfoundland Growlers will have a will break the barrier in the NA in the East for the in all of hockey as they will have their first coach that will be a woman. She will coach in the East Coast Hockey League with the Newfoundland Growlers. Danielle Gautier will make history would made history on Thursday to become the first woman to act as an assistant coach in the East Coast Hockey League. The two-time Olympic gold medalist for Canada and current director of player development for the Toronto Maple Leafs filled in after Newfoundland Growlers head coach Eric Wentwood tested positive for COVID-19. Nathan McIlver will take over as acting head coach and Gautier will be the assistant on Thursday and Friday's game. This natural progression for Gautier, who transitioned into coaching almost immediately following her decorated playing career. She was named head coach at the, uh, the University of Calgary Dynamo Dinos, who won the national championship in 2012. So it's good to see that breaking the barrier there. I'm looking forward to seeing how she does going forward. Now, looking at the overall standings going into tonight's play. In the Central Division, we'll start off with where the wall are at. The Wally is 27-9, 0-2 with 56 points. Cincinnati, 23-16, 1-0 with 47 points. Fort Wayne, 20-14, 4-1 with 45 points. It is the Kalamazoo Wings at 21-16, 0-0 with 42 points. Wheeling, 20-17, 1-0 with 41 points. Indy, 17-20, 2-2 with 38 points. And the Iowa Heartlanders are 15-21, 5-1 with 36 points. In the North Division, it's the Reading Royals at 19-9-5-1 with 44 points. Newfoundland, 17-11, 2-0 with 36 points. The Lions, 18-12, 1-1 with 38 points. The Maine Mariners are 18-15, 3-2 with 41 points. The Adirondack Thunder of Evan Pivnik, Evan have a picnic team, 15-17, 2-0 with 32 points. And the Worcester Railers are 15-18, 1-1 with 32 points. In the Mountain Division sees the Utah Grizzlies at the top spot at 26-14, 2-1 with 55 points. Idaho, 24-16, 0-1 with 49 points. Rapid City, 21-16, 3-2 with 47 points. Tulsa, 21-17, 0-1 with 43 points. You also have... The Allen Americans at 17-16-4 and one with 39 points. Kansas City 19-21 and one with an O with 39 points. And the uh, Wooster, and the Wichita Thunder at 15-21-5 and O with 35 points. The South Division sees the Jacksonville Iceman the top spot at 23-13-2 and one with 49 points. Florida 23-13-3 and three with 52 points. Atlanta, 23-15, 2-1 with 49 points. Orlando, 20-16, 3-0 with 43 points. Greenville, 13-15, 4-3 with 33 points. Norfolk, 14-19, 2-2 with 32 points. And the South Carolina Stingrays are 14-22, 4-0 with 32 points. That is the updated standings going into this weekend's play. As you are listening to All in the All for tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, pocket cast bleaker stitcher however you're listening wherever and whenever you're listening thank you for tuning into the show tonight and now let's dive a little bit more in and of course we're not going to talk about it it's that tide. it is the 24th Olympiad. it is it is beijing 2022 is underway we are actually two days into the competition if you think about it is we started off on wednesday it was day negative two as mixed doubles curling is taking place, and you know I've been watching a lot of that, and I really like Team Canada's play. I like their play; the two, those two are really good at throwing the rock and putting it into the house really well. Uh, Team USA looks really good. I'm surprised at how good Team Italy is. They're perfect so far through the through the mixed doubles. Been watching a lot of that last night. I watched. The Nathan Chen and the Olymp- and the uh, figure skating and the team competition, I thought he did very very well. Uh, I like the kid out of uh, out of Italy as well. He looks just like a coworker of mine. I I I, I was a little shocked at that, but it, the Olympics come once a year, and tonight this morning was the opening ceremonies, and if you get an opportunity to watch it, watch it, and watch it towards the end. I really was really moved at the piece at the end. Um, if you look at all the, when the athletes are coming in, the representatives that will, that come in with the flag bearer is holding a snowflake with the team, with the, with the country's name on it. Now, it is absolutely, absolutely cool to see the team country on it and then they take all those team names and lock it into a snowflake and that turns into the cauldron for the olympics and it is absolutely one of my favorite scenes to see the lighting of the cauldron and it was absolutely beautiful uh it actually brought a little tear to my eye so the uh, the olympiads are underway here at in Beijing, they are a 13-hour time difference, letting you know that ahead of time. So as you go to bed, the events are happening. So, and then when you're waking up, the events are ending. So, a lot of it, if you're watching on NBC, it's gonna be tape-delayed. The best bet if you have it on Buckeye Cable System, it's gonna be watching it on CBC. They have round the clock coverage of this Olympiad that's in Beijing, and this is the first of ev- first city to host both the summer and the winter games and I like it that the curling club is actually the water cube where Michael Phelps broke the record now it's holding the curling taking place and then where the basketball stadium was taking place is where the ice hockey team is and of course hockey is underway in the Olympics as it is the women are playing right now the Canadian women Absolutely destroying Switzerland in their opening round matchup by a score of twelve to twelve to one. Uh, the United States getting a big win over Finland five to one. But they've lost their top assistant captain to a leg injury. She's done for the tournament. Uh, like I mentioned before, Canada beat China today in the mixed curling mixed doubles eight to six. United States an eight-six win over Sweden in the round robin tournament. There'll be action tonight as it will be Norway and Austria, Switzerland and Sweden, and then the prelims tonight at eleven ten, it will be Canada taking on Finland in women's hockey. So looking forward to that. The Luge. We have our first medal events that are that will take place today. Tomorrow at tomorrow morning as it will be cross-country skiing, as it will be the women's 700, 7.5 kilometers and 7.5 kilometer skill, skeleton. We also have the 3,000 3, meters speed skate for women. Also you'll have the biathlon as well, the mixed relay, the 4x6 relay as well. So the and ski jumping's final round will take place as well. So looking forward to that, really looking forward to that tomorrow as well as tonight. So the Olympiad is underway in Beijing, China. So with that also in mind, let's take a look at our other sports as well. Uh, let's talk about a little bit about the LPGA. The LPGA crowned their champion last weekend, as it was the let me see, pull it up here. Uh, here it is, here it is. It was the Gambridge LPGA Polka Raton open, and it was Lydia Ko shooting a combined 63, 70, 72, and 69, 14 under par to win. The tournament. You look at the final results of it. It was Lydia Ko, and then in second place was Danielle Kang. She finished in second place. Yeah, she finished in second place. See here. Pull it back up here. I seem to lost it here. Hold on a second. My apologies. This is live air for you right here. We don't need top golf. We need women's golf. Here it is. Here for you. Yeah. The Boca Raton. It was Lydia Cole finishing 14 under. Danielle Kang, 13 under. Yuka Sasso finishing 12 under. Charlie Hall finishes 11 under. Tied in fourth spot with Celine Beautier. Lexi Tom and uh, Charlie Hall finishing 11-under par. Lexi Thompson tied for six at 7-under with Brooke Henderson and Stacey Lewis finishes up at the, tied for 8th with Belak and Choi. It was Ewing finishing 5-under par. Hall finishing four 5-under par as well. Yang, 4-under par. Talavonik 4-under par. Uh, Okoy, 4-under par. Law and Judy Ed, Standoff 4-under par as well. Nellie Quarter finishes 2-under par tied for 20th with Segunda as well as her sister Jessica Corda as well. They are in action as we speak right now. As it is the drive-on championship taking place at Crown Colonial Golf Club in Fort Myers, Florida. As it is, Stacy Lewis in the clubhouse right now uh, with a nine under par. Tana Vanica, eight under par as well. Leon McGuire, eight under par. Maria Alex, eight under par. Uh, Leon Johansson is 8-under par as well. Charlie Hall, 7-under par. Kang, 6-under par. In Jung-Chi is 6-under par. Brooke Henderson tied for 9th. She is 6-under par with Masson as well as Jun Lee, 6. Jasmine Suwanapura, 5-under par. Su O 5-under par as well as Cheyenne Knight, 5-under par as well. Lexi Thompson, 5-under par as well as Brittany Enemeyer, 5-under par. They're all on the course as we speak. Those round two is underway as we are getting closer and closer. Their next event will head over. It will be the HBC tournament, which takes place in March. March 3rd, it will be the World Championships in Singapore. So looking forward to that right here as well. Other sporting news to pass along, of course, the Battle of I-75 took place last Saturday at the Stroh Center, as it was Bowling Green taking on the University of Toledo, and Toledo a big 71 67 win as they take round one. Uh, they take and take a 3 0 lead in the Battle of I 75 this year. So, Toledo a big 71 67 win in the women's side of things. Tonight, there will be no action tonight. It'll be all in tomorrow as Bowling Green travels to Ball State to Muncie. Toledo travels to Akron in the women's side. In the men's side of things, it's a little bit of a different story. It will be it will be the University of Toledo Rockets taking on ball state. Nine o'clock tip on ESPNU. Akron is at home against Miami of Ohio. Uh yesterday it was Ohio at 81-68 win over Eastern Michigan. Central Michigan a 65-55 win. Over Western Michigan on Tuesday, it was Bowling Green falling to Central Michigan, 78-74. Saturday, Bowling Green hosts Northern Illinois, 5 p.m. tip-off for that one. And by the way, got to make mention of this, speaking of hockey, the Bowling Green State University men's ice hockey team will battle Minnesota State this weekend. Minnesota State, the number one team in the country and a part of the CCHA. They travel to the Slater Family Ice House for a doubleheader games. Friday and Saturday, get to the slate, possibly see the upset of the number one seed in all of college hockey. As you are listening and listening to All Andy Offer tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Bleaker, Stitcher, however you're listening, wherever and however you're listening. Thank you so much for tuning into the show tonight. And now we've hit the end of our program. It's now time for Andy Rance. So it's now time for Andy Ranson. And again, I want to thank you for tuning into the show tonight. If you haven't hit the subscribe button yet, then what are you doing? Hit the subscribe button. We're going to be doing podcasts next week twice on Monday as well as on Thursday, live from L.A., Inglewood, California, for Super Bowl 56, as it will be the, the Los Angeles Rams hosting, being the home team against the Cincinnati Bengals. So it's now time for Andy Rants tonight. And tonight we are going to have a discussion about a post that we've seen on our airways. I had a gentleman post this to me, send this to me off of Instigator Hockey. And this is a big talking point for yours truly. And this is a big one. So I'm going to read it as follows. And then I'm going to give you my take. Since the start of this page, I have posted under the name Hashtag Hit Somebody, not in a reference to the Warren Zalbert song, which is good, and of the same name. It is due to growing up into Toledo and Toledo hockey. If you've ever been to a game in Toledo, you would understand the reference. Up until this point, I have missed only one game. However, this year, I have paid more attention to some, for some reason to the people attending these games. Unfortunately, I've come to the realization that 90% of people at the games have no clue what they are watching and have no clue about the game of hockey. They're simply there to get drunk and see fight. Then 9% of them are the type that make a double a hockey team their lives and are just annoying while doing so. Doing so. You buy these game-worn jerseys at auction for about $900 and walk around like you're special. I understand and fully appreciate the fact that the money goes to charity, and and that's amazing. But in the same breath, you're paying that much money for a jersey of a guy playing double double as hockey and will be selling insurance in a few years back up in Moose Jaw. Then we have the one percenters that are understanding the game and watch the and watch hockey. The people that have become somewhat cringe to me based on, off of people that attend yelling and having no idea what they're yelling about. Booing when penalties are plain and simple and the entire fan base is just embarrassing. When you yell and chant, it's just horrible and dumb. I despise walking into the Huntington Center realizing what I must endure for the next three hours just because I love hockey. This is what gets me right here. Winterfest did me in this year. The whole experience was just a joke to me. Starting with the price of tickets to me, starting to the price of tickets to the overall experience, this was an overall huge failure for me, not to mention the treatment by the Toledo Fire Hockey Team. The Fire Department has their own hockey team here in the city of Toledo. And they were charged $6,000 to play a game, which was a charity game at Fifth Third Field against a team out of Massachusetts who they brought in. This is the same group of men and women that help you in the city, and how do you show the, show your appreciation for all they do? Charge them $6,000 to play a game? How horrible is that? I totally agree. It is completely disrespectful. You may ask what the point of all this is. I just felt like the need to get out. For me, hockey and Toledo died when the storm folded and the sports arena closed. I'm sorry if you feel differently, but Saturday games when the stands were only had 22,000 people was the best time and where the real fans show up. Now we have a bunch of people showing up, having no clue what's going on, but they're quote unquote hockey fans. However, due to this realization, I don't want to use this name that references the this disappointment of a franchise and fan base. Hit somebody must be retired. I'll read some of the other things. Totally respect your views on things. I agree with you a lot. Although it's I'm not that old enough to really say I I watched the storm all that much. I was young at the time and only went to a few games when my dad wasn't working. It's annoying that more people have more than half of the people show up to the games are just drunk and people looking around looking for somebody to yell at and the diehard fans are pretty annoyed and we all know who they are. But the walleye and the sport of hockey saved my life. It gave me something to look forward to when I wasn't in a good place in my life. I fell in love with the sport and the city and the city's passion for it. It makes me grow sad knowing hockey fans are starting to grow out grow old, grow old with the fan base antics of money grabbing, but it's business, and a business is very and a business that is very profitable, only so much to do in Toledo, so it may be just a double. A hockey team, but it's ours. It's the same thing you see every game. I just learned to deal with it, because may maybe those players will players only shot at professional hockey, and I think it. I like to think we've got them as close to the show as possible in a barn like the Huntington Center. That was Gerald Atkins posted on their on the page. Somebody wrote, Well, it said, Well, it said. Thank you for speaking the truth. Love it. I remember the storm. What about bands that create, created the song? Your fringe on the right from In Theory. You know, the logo belongs to the Thunder Bay Fighting Walleye. Somebody copied it. Uh, I was Dukes of the Dogs for a period. Okay, so let me get into what that was all about. I totally agree with this gentleman. This gentleman is absolutely right the fan base to me has just grown i'll say it soft when it comes to hockey and you know we see it my wife sees it my my parents see it and the regular hockey fan has seen it you see the one nighters that come out and just want to just have a beer and watch the game and just relax and you know for me me that's not you know that's not what this is all about there's all fans that want to come to the Huntington Center and want to watch the Walleye, and then you have the people that just go just to have a drink, and and watch a fight. If you want to do that, go to the Tin Can, go to any of the bars in Toledo. That'll all happen. The Huntington Center and the group of players that are on the ice matter to a lot of us, and to the and and to that me to that gentleman that said those things. I agree. I'm probably one of the one percenters to sit there and watch a hockey game. I'll stand up and yell when there's a penalty that should be called. You know, and the referee doesn't see it. You know, and I totally, 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 totally agree on what this gentleman said. Now, on another subject of this whole jersey situation, I totally agree with him too. You know, these people that buy these jerseys and mark them up to a hundred, nine hundred to a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars for at an auction is absolutely ridiculous. I like what the walleye are doing this weekend. Sunday they're doing the uh, walleye retro, the walleye um, alumni team, and they're doing a raffle. They're having seventeen jerseys from the raffle. You put five dollars into the for a ticket or five for twenty, and you get a jersey that if you your number pulled, you get a jersey. I wish they would do that more than they would do the. Do the uh, do the uh, do the auction, because I mean you get more money. I think, in my opinion, more people having the opportunity to win a jersey instead of the person that you know will go and buy, spend a thousand dollars, and flip it and turn it and put it on eBay or put it on Facebook Marketplace. And a few years ago, the Don Cherry jerseys that went on sale. I was absolutely disappointed because the Don Cherry jersey and the jerseys that were the red and black with the black hooks, red and black hooks, these people were buying the jerseys one, two, three at a time. They should limit the jersey sales to one person, one jersey per person. At the time, they were people were buying two, three, four at a time and I, sh- I, I pardon my language, but I shit you not, turning it around, taking a picture of it in their car as they're going back home, putting it on their marketplace. So with all the specialty jerseys, like tonight's game is a SpongeBob jersey, you know there'll be people trying to buy, auction and buy those jerseys. So in my opinion, the, e- the, NA- the, uh, the Walleye should raffle jerseys instead of auction jerseys. You get more people that would want to think, oh, I got a shot at winning a jersey. I'll throw twenty dollars in and get five dollars, five tickets out of it. And they don't win. You get the twenty. They get the the, the, the team gets the twenty dollars for the walleye Wishing Well Fund as well as first tee. I think that's the key thing. And you know, and to the fans that do that and just flaunt around, around and walk around think they're all high and mighty because they wear those jerseys, you're not a real. You're not a real hockey fans. You're not real hockey fans. Tell me when you're a real hockey fan. Okay. And now the third thing out of of the whole thing. And that is the whole fire department getting charged. I think that is the the most ridiculous thing ever. We did research on this. And we found out it cost cost the walleye $2.4 million to build the rink, have that rink installed, have it Operational for the whole Winterfest, because the average cost of a rink by ice rink events is about, you know, about one point eight million dollars. So with this big event, if it's gonna, and that was a duration of two weeks, from build to unbuild with the with the with the rink. This was a whole month, basically. I I think what they did. But the walleye did, and then to have them char- not charge them an event gate price for this game is ridiculous. To make up some of the costs that they lose for it was ridiculous. So I, 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 I say it's a shame on the walleye because that $6,000 could be used for firefighter training, it could be used for firefighter equipment, but instead it's going to be used, it was used to play a hockey game. The walleye should have gave them time. And I agree with the fan, you know, I I grew up at one Main Street. I grew up watching the storm. I remember my first game, I was 94. I was four years old, they were playing the Louisville River Frogs. I remember that game. I remember going almost a whole weekend. I would go whole weekends there. I remember they played, one time they played Birmingham, New Orleans, and I think Tallahassee. In all three days, the Tallahassee was Friday, Birme- uh, New Orleans was Saturday, Birmingham was Sunday. I remember that. I remember all the good times. I remember my best friend Danny and I would go when we were in our teens. We would sit up at the top of the arena, watch the games, Enjoyed ourselves. And what we have at the Huntington Center now are, I'm going to say it, and I don't want, I don't mean it in to the one percenters, but I'll say it to the ninety. 90- 8% of those fans that go there just to watch a fight and everything like that. I have a bunch of fake hockey fans that go to the game. If you want to get a have a beer and watch a fight, drink at home. Watch a UFC fight. The Huntington Center is not a place for that. And that's Andy Rants. We'll be back on the air on Monday. To recap, All-Star Weekend as well as the Pro Bowl. And we'll dive more into the Olympics. So until then, and we'll get you set up for Super Bowl week. Remember, Monday's show is a Facebook live show as well as we'll have it taped here on the for the Anchor Network as well. So until I talk to you on Monday, this is Andy Elford saying I'm pulling for you. We're all in this together. Game of life. Keep your stick on the ice. And remember to wear a mask. And to the teams you root for at home. Into my teams. Go Jackets, even though it's the All-Star break. Go Walleye. Get the job done tonight. We'll be down at the Huntington Center for the game tonight. Me and the wife and a bunch of us. Go Falcons. And who day, baby. And go Team USA and go Team Canada. The Olympics are underway. Victory is sweetest. When you have tasted Defeat, have a great weekend, everybody. I'll talk to you on Monday for another edition of All Andy Elford. Love you. Talk to you guys then. This has been a presentation of the All Andy Elford Network, powered by Anchor. You've been listening to Andy tonight on the plethora of platforms with the Anchor Network, whether it be on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Bleaker, however you listen, wherever and whenever you're listening. Thank you again for tuning into the show tonight. You can be a part of our show by following us on Twitter. It is at AllAndyAlfred, as well as Facebook.com slash AllAndyAlfred. The podcast is performed each week right here on the Anchor Network.